Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The human analogy to help us understand the level of Seva of Kalalman. That Hashem grasps all the world, but the world does not grasp Him. And the analogy is, and he said, it's not like the body and the soul, where the soul is not only gives life to the body, but the soul is defined by the body, is limited by the body, is defined by the body, can give life to two bodies at the same time. The soul is limited to the body. But Hashem surrounds and encompasses all the worlds, not in the physical sense, He's around and not in the world, but that Hashem totally is not defined by the world. He encompasses within Him. It is encompassed within Him, but it does not encompass Him. He contains the whole world, but the whole world does not contain Him. He grasps the whole world, but the world does not grasp Him. And the closest analogy we can get, the human analogy is when you think. In your mind, you can think of many different things. Now, in your mind, they're basically the same energies, the same energies, the thought that's thinking of the table, thinking of the chair. What, what is the table, what is the chair in your mind? It's just your thought. So it's the same energy, the same substance, the table, the chair. It doesn't matter. It's really the details don't matter. It's really all made up of the same substance, your imagination, your thought. It's a poor analogy because man can, doesn't create anything with his thoughts. But Hashem, when He thinks, He creates so it's Hashem's thoughts that totally creates and totally brings everything into existence and it doesn't matter whether it's a chemical, whether it's a cell, an amoeba, a bug, a worm, a tree, an animal, a person, an angel. All of the different creatures throughout the whole universe, the multiplicity of, the, of created beings, really they're all made up of the same substance. They're made up of the divine godly energy because Hashem is thinking right this moment is thinking of this cup of water and that's why this cup of water is here and Hashem is thinking of us and that's why we're here and Hashem is thinking of the angels and that's why the angels are here Hashem would stop thinking for one moment Hashem would stop speaking for one moment and then imagine by us when we imagine something and then we stop imagining it just disappears as if it never existed so our whole existence is only because Hashem wills us Hashem is thinking about us Hashem speaks of us and the moment Hashem stops paying attention to us there's nothing because we exist within Hashem. So Hashem contains us, but we do not contain Hashem. Hashem grasps us, but we don't grasp Him. He defines us, but we're not defined by Him. So although we, He's totally connect, creating everything that exists, but nevertheless, He remains totally untouched by it, and undefined by it, and unmoved by it. Which also explains why. God creates the life of a sinner while a person is sinning and, so to speak, angering God and doing terrible things. And yet Hashem continues to... He's not defined by it. He's not affected by it. He's not affected by our sins, not affected by our... He's not affected by... The world doesn't affect Him. The body and the soul is not like that. When the body is in too much pain... The soul just leaves the body. The soul can't take it. The body affects the soul. The soul is affected by the body. It's very difficult for a person to reach a state where 
the body doesn't exist. The prophet, when he would receive prophecy, he would reach a state where it's called he would like leave his body, like not feel his body. That's a very high level. It's a very, it's very difficult to achieve because the soul is defined by the body. You can't pretend the body is not there. And you're affected by the body. But God is not affected by the world. He sustains us. He creates us. We're worthy. We're not worthy. We're sinful. We're rebellious. We're... He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he creates us every morning and every moment and every day with the same zeal, zest, enthusiasm. Hashem is unaffected. So He's not defined by the world. Although the world is totally defined by Him. He contains the world. The world does not contain Him. He grasps the world, but the world does not grasp Him. This is unique to Hashem. And that's what we call the level of Soviv Kalaman. That Hashem encompasses all of the worlds. So although this is the life force of the world, this is the very existence, the core, the essence of all existence, but nevertheless... It's, it remains, it's like infinite. The life force is infinite and undefined and we don't sense it. We can't grasp it. We're not aware of it. We don't sense it. We don't even know it's there. So much so that people even deny God. They deny the reality of God. God is creating you each and every moment, sustaining you. How can you deny the reality? How can you go ahead and do, violate the mitzvah? It's like putting your hand in, hand in the socket. It should be impossible. How can a person defy Hashem when that's your very core and essence? But since we don't grasp Hashem, we don't sense Hashem, Hashem is transcendent, is around us, we don't sense it, we don't feel it, we can't grasp it. It's infinite. It's, under, it's beyond our capacity to grasp. Therefore, we don't feel it. So much so people can go through their entire life denying reality of God denying godliness it's hard to believe but people can go through the entire existence denying the reality of God or those who don't re- deny the reality of God but God is transcendent in a very negative way God is above me which is what the Torah how the Torah describes when a Amalek attacked the Jewish people a Amalek caused doubt the numerical value of Amalek is suffolk doubt Amalek threw a doubt. What was the doubt? The Jewish people said, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbeinu Imayim Is God within us? Of course we believe in God. How can we not believe in God? We just witnessed the miracles of the Exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea. But God is in heaven. God is above. God is beyond us. In the literal sense, Sovev Kalalman. He's, he's around us. He's above the perimeter. He's beyond this world. Is God within me does he affect me does he move me does he inspire me does he challenge me is he therapeutic does he help me does he change me does he affect me personally, individually that was the question so how is it possible when your whole core and essence is being created at this very moment only through God's thoughts and through God's will, and through God's speech. And at the same time, we're totally oblivious of God. If not totally oblivious, 
we, we make God into something remote, something heavenly, remote, removed from the messiness of dirt, earthy day-to-day reality of our daily lives. So that's something that because God is not grasped in the world, although God totally contains the world, the world wouldn't exist for a moment without God. And the world is nothing other than the divine energy and godly. Because the substance of everything is the same. The substance of the amoeba, the substance of the atom, the substance of the chemical, the substance of the angel. It's all made up of the same substance. It's a divine creative energy. There's nothing else. Our very substance is godliness. But yet we totally are oblivious to it. We totally don't sense it. We don't feel it. Because we're not capable of feeling it. Because we're limited. We're finite. We see the tree. We don't see the forest. We can't see the forest. We don't see God because God is everywhere. That's why we can't see Him. It eludes us. So those who totally deny Him and those who do believe in Him, but it's remote. It's abstract. It's way up there in heaven. The question is if it's in the seventh heaven or it's in the sixth heaven, but it's in heaven. It's not part of my life. It's not part of my reality, day-to-day reality. So this is the concept of Seyv of Kalalman. That Hashem is beyond, transcends us, Hashem is beyond us. Not in the literal sense, in the physical sense, but that we cannot grasp God. Because God is our total essence, everything, everything that exists is really God and godliness. Nothing other than godliness. That's why we cannot grasp So that's the life force that's called Seva Kalam. It's an infinite life force, all-encompassing life force, undifferentiated, doesn't differentiate in one detail, another one creature, another creature, another creature, one detail, another detail. It's all one. It's all connected. This time and all previous times and all future times, this space and all other spaces, your soul and all other souls, it's all connected. So everything in the world you have like linear and you have cyclical. You have two ways of understanding time. Time is Linear, one minute at a time. Or time is dynamic. It's all connected. It's all interlinked and connected. Past, present, future. That's the, that's the way of save of Kalam. It's like a circle. It's all connected. There's no beginning. There's no middle. There's no end. It's all the same. It's all equal. First is, now we're going to get into the other part, which is called Mamali Kalam. Mamali Kalam means God fills all the worlds. It's like a line in comparison to the circle. A line, you go from point, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, you go from higher to lower, there's a point, one point leads to the next point, to the next point. And that's already a very finite and defined and limited energy, an energy that we can sense. You can sense the life force in the tree. The tree grows, you feel it, you see it. You can sense and grasp the life force in the animal. The animal is an animal, it roams around. You can sense the life force in the human being, in ourselves. We're alive. We can think, we can imagine, we have pleasure, and we have pain, and we have joy. And we, we, can, we, we, we feel that life. You know, it's not faith. You feel it. You feel the life force in the brain. You feel the life force in the heart. Your heart is pumping. Your heart is you're upset, or you're anxious, or you're nervous, or you're, you love, or you're attracted, or you're repulsed. These are all life expressions that you sense. Because it's the, the energy matches the vehicle. There's a vehicle that contains it, that's a vessel to it, that expresses it. And therefore, that's a visible, tangible life force that you can sense. Even though it's an energy, you can't see it, but you can feel it. And you see its expression. 
So that's what we call Mamalakalam. Hashem fills all the worlds, where Hashem gives every creature, every creation, its particular energy, its particular uh, characteristics, its particular strengths and weaknesses and natures. and Everything in the world has its particular character, individuality, um, properties, whether it's light or whether it's stone or whatever. Everything in the world is its unique properties and its unique component and makeup and Hashem gives everyone its own unique energy so that's what we call Mamalakalama, Hashem fills all the worlds where He differentiates where every individual is a vessel, a vehicle for its own particular energy, its own particular manifestation of energy so that's what we call Mamalakalama Hashem fills all the worlds and in that sense the analogy that the Talmud uses and other Midrashim that we are a microcosm, and just like the soul fills the body, so too God is the macrocosm, the God fills the world, God is the soul of the world. In that, now, in that sense, the analogy fits, because the vessel grasps the energy, the particular energy. The mind, the brain, grasps the particular energy, ability to, 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 to think, to comprehend. The heart grasps, the particular energy of emotion, of feeling, of reactions to the world around you. And the same is with every particular energy, every organ of the body has its own unique energy and strength and ability. So, so too, everything in the world also has a particular unique energy and characteristics and nature with which Hashem created. And that object is a vessel, a vehicle to express those, that particular energy or characteristics. And that's an energy you can sense. Yes, you don't sense the divine. We know that we're alive and we sense our life force within us, our vitality and the will to live and we're alive and we're vibrant. But we don't make the connection to the divine, the level of Sevev Kalalman, the level where God totally permeates our very core and essence. That eludes us. That we don't sense. That we don't experience. That we don't feel with the exception of the tzaddik. The tzaddik senses that. The tzaddik sees that level. The tzaddik sees godliness and experiences godliness experientially. But we, experientially, we don't see that. Because, not because it's up there. It's within us. God is within us, all around us. Totally penetrating our whole being, our whole core and essence is nothing other than godly. God thinks, and that's why we're here. This very moment, if God stops thinking about us or speaking to us, or wills us into existence, or just stops paying attention, we, we simply just cease to exist. The divine providence and God's attention literally creates us. But we don't sense that. Otherwise we would all be godly beings, we would all be tzaddikim. Who would have an evil inclination? If you sensed the godliness that's located at the center of your being, you wouldn't even be tempted. It would be, it would be like unplugging, unplugging yourself. Would you unplug yourself? It would cease to exist. How, how could you defy God and your whole being is godly? It's like going against your whole essence. It's like, it's like jumping into fire. Even an animal won't go into fire. Instinctively, how can you go into fire? How can you self-destruct? For a person to do a sin, for a person not to do a mitzvah, it's literally jumping into fire, self-destructing. You're going against your substance, your whole being, your whole substance is godly. How can you do something ungodly? But we don't make the connection. Because God is not grasped by us. We cannot grasp God. God contains us, but we can't contain God. We're not God. God grasp us but we don't grasp God so 
we don't feel it, we don't sense it. It's within us, it's all around us, and yet we totally don't sense it. But we do sense it, a life force, an energy. Not a divine life force. We don't make the connection that it's divine. If you think about it, every life force is divine. All the scientists in the world can create the life of a single fly. So anytime you see life, you're looking at a miracle. Life comes from within. Life is a divine miracle. But we don't see it. We're like blind. We're wearing blinders. It's like, it's like we're born with blinders. We don't see. We don't hear. We don't sense. We're like blind, deaf, and dumb. We're looking at life, staring at life. And we don't see the divine. If this world was a sane world, after work, people are exhausted. What do you think they would be doing? They would be building auditoriums. And they, would be, they, would, they, would, they would be building stadiums around the maternity ward to watch the miracle of creation. Not to watch people hit a ball with wood. It's madness. It's insanity. <laughs> it's irrational. It makes no sense. You want to relax. You want to get excited. People, people would be rushing. Though. They would have to make Madison Square Garden for libraries to study wisdom, to see the miracle of life. But we don't make the connection. We're blind, deaf, and dumb. We're looking. We're steering. We see energy. We want energy. We all want energy in life. That's what we want in life. Everyone is looking for high energy. But we don't make the divine connection. High power drink or <laughs> energy drink or energy. But the real energy you get from Torah, from mitzvah, we don't make the divine connection. Because we're wearing blinders. We don't grasp godliness. That's the paradox of life. That's the, the, the mystery of life. Godliness is all around us. There is no symptom. Symptom is not literally. It's not that God removed himself from the world. God's infinite life and light is within us and all around us. And that's our whole core, our whole essence, our whole being. Is nothing other than the infinite light. We are the infinite light. There's nothing else. And yet we're totally oblivious to it. Totally eludes us. We don't grasp, we don't sense, we don't feel. Just like the story of Joseph at Tzaddik. Today is Yud Beis Tammuz. The birthday and the holiday of redemption of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1927. They're being sentenced to death as released from prison. The name is Yosef Yitzchok. So it's like the story in the Torah with Yosef. Yosef was, before Yosef revealed himself, the Jewish family, the Jewish people were shattered. The whole world was, they reached the lowest point. Yaakov was destroyed. 22 years he was destroyed. Since when he lost Joseph, they lost Joseph. They just lost Benjamin. Rachel died, childbirth. And his whole family was wiped out. They couldn't bear to tell Jacob that Benjamin is lost. He would die on the spot. They were shattered, they were broken. And what happened a moment later? When Yosef couldn't contain himself any longer, he lost self-control. He just burst out crying and revealed himself. He says, I am Joseph. What happened in that, when he said those magical words in those, that split moment, that split second? The whole situation turned around 180 degrees. They got back to Yaakov. They got back Benjamin. They got back Yosef. The whole Jewish family was whole again. And they realized they never lost Joseph. Joseph was there, staring them in the face. Where was Joseph? Joseph wasn't hiding. 
the source that what they thought was the source of all their tzaras was none other than Joseph himself, their beloved brother who loved them. So the whole thing was a facade, a mirage. It's like, it's like a two-way two mirror uh, where you can see from one side the other, and the other end is opaque. You can't see anything. So f- from Hashem's point of view, everything is clear. Everything is godly. Everything is infinite. God is not hiding. I mean, God didn't disappear. God is here. Nothing changed. Just like God was here before He created the world, He's here after He created the world, He's here during creation. Just like Joseph. Joseph was there, staring at them, talking to them. There was no change. From Joseph's point of view, there was no change before, after. It was the same Joseph. Nothing changed. His feelings didn't change. He didn't change. And he was open the whole time. He wasn't wearing any masks. He was staring at them. But their world was totally dark, shattered. They were totally oblivious of what was going on. Totally oblivious. That's the idea of Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum doesn't mean literally that God moves away from the world. No, the whole world is infinite. The whole world is godly. Everything is God. Nothing changed. You can find infinite in everything. Even the atom is infinite. Everything is infinite. Because infinity didn't go anywhere. God didn't go anywhere. Everything is godly. But our perspective, until Mashiach comes, our perspective is our world is shattered. We're oblivious. We don't sense godliness. We don't experience godliness. We don't feel godliness. It's a darkness. Life is a test. Difficult tests. And we, we are totally oblivious. It eludes us. We can't grasp. We don't contain it within us. We can't hold on to it. But the truth is that Hashem is here. And we have to tap into it and access it. That's a question. Though, since they went, if God is creating us every moment, why would He create us in pain? The pain is, is a consequence of the symptom. Because we are oblivious, because godliness eludes us, as the Jews said in the desert, is God within me? Or is God some abstract, heavenly, pure energy, some notion that's nothing to do with my life? That creates the distortion. That creates the distortion that created the pain, that created evil, that created death, that created all the negatives in the world which came as a consequence of the fact that godliness became hidden and concealed from us and we became oblivious to godliness. We don't sense godliness. Mashiach will come and the infinite light will once again permeate our consciousness, will experience godliness, will sense godliness and godliness will become so natural. It'll feel so natural. It'll feel so real us that moment as a consequence there will no longer be any pain all the pains and the ills and the aches will all be healed there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any evil the world will be 100% good 100% joy 100% life you won't need life won't need death to define life you won't need evil to define good you won't need pain to define joy. It'll be absolutely good. Absolute, we'll say Alechayim and absolute also, it'll be absolute good, absolute, uh, absolute uh, life, and absolute joy. So it's all, everything that happens, we can all blame on the original Tzimtzum. The Tzimtzum where 
our perception changed. Just like with Joseph. From Joseph's point of view, there was never any hiding. Joseph had clarity all the time. There was no concealment. He was right there staring them in the face. There was no concealment. It's not he was hiding under the table. He was talking to them. But from their point of view, it was total. They were totally oblivious. They had no idea what was going on. They were totally in the dark. It was a mirage. And that created that whole pain and that created that whole... But the moment, the revelation, the revelation of Mashiach, the moment when godliness will become natural once again, and we'll sense it in our kishkas, that every fiber of our being and every bone in our body will experience godliness. And we'll know that God is within us and all around us and God is infinite and our whole substance is the divine and life is a miracle and we'll sense the miracle. And you walk down Park Avenue and you'll sense godliness. Then there will no longer be any pain. There will no longer be any evil. There will no longer be any greed. Or jealousy or envy or hatred. The world will be a wholesome place, a moral place, an ethical place, a spiritual place, a godly place, a garden of Eden the way it once was, the way it was meant to be, and the way inevitably it will be any moment, as we are about to cross the threshold into the Messianic era. So this is the idea, the story of Joseph at Tzaddik really helps us understand the true concept of Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is not there was any real removal, any real change. From Joseph's point of view, there's total clarity. From God's point of view, there's total clarity. There's no, there's no, nothing changed. God says, I'm before created the world, I'm during creation, I'm after creation, nothing changed. All there is is godliness. There is nothing else. Everything is really infinite. What appears to us to be finite, everything is really infinite. It's nothing other than divine creative energy. It's all that it is. There's nothing else. And therefore, as we dig deeper into reality, we discover everything is a reflection of the infinite. The atom, the tiniest, is, is infinite. Because everything is a reflection of, of the divine. So really, nothing changed. But, our, but we don't sense the divine. If we were to sense the divine, the world wouldn't look the way it looks now. With all the evil and the lies and the hypocrisy and the superficiality and the materialism and the external ego, to ego pursuits, money, power, fame, the lies. Not, none, of that, none of that would survive for a moment. It would have truth and genuine and honesty. But with the tzimtzum, we can blame everything on the Simpson. <laughs> so then how does, again, if God is creating everything every moment, how does that work that he's creating it differently now? No, he's creating it the no, same, because, so we don't... Because we, we don't grasp it. it. We don't grasp it. He grasps us, but we don't grasp him. He contains us, but we don't contain him. So we don't sense it. We're oblivious to it. We sense that there's a life energy, there's an energy and vitality, but we don't make the divine connection. We have like a blinder. We just simply don't... We, do, we just don't make the connection. The logical connection. And we are totally oblivious of the divine nature. Our divine nature. Divine nature of everything around us. And that causes all the pain and the grief and the suffering. But that's the consequence of the fact that individually and collectively there is such a oblivion disconnect distortion and we add insult to injury when Adam sinned he added insult to injury and he, he, he amplified the distortion 
and it became egotistical and became even more disconnected and more distorted so that as a consequence the world became a very harsh place brutish, nasty, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed place where there's death and there's pain and there's evil but that's a consequence of the fact that we amplify but how much more so in the positive we do a good deed that we can restore the world we heal the world we heal the symptom we heal that distortion we can straighten the, out the world we can clarify the world bring godliness into it when a Jewish woman lights a candle she lights up the darkness the darkness melts away she brings clarity to the world she reveals the divine life force and energy in the world by lighting up the darkness of exile by lighting the Chavez candle she literally brings the divine light into the world that light, godliness becomes manifest and felt and tangible and brings us one moment closer to Mashiach when God will light the ultimate Shabbos candles and will put an end to pain and suffering period, forever, for good put an end to evil for good, and put an end to lies for good, and put an end to death for good so although we don't sense it but every time you do a mitzvah you're drawing down the light from the save of Kalman, from the from God's all-encompassing light, the divine energy. You're bringing divine energy into this world because a Jew is connected. Our, we have a divine soul. Our soul is connected. Even if we don't, we don't feel it, we're not conscious of it, but we're connected. And therefore, when you do a mitzvah, you're connected and you bring, you reveal that truth into the world. You bring that light into this world, the light of Sev of Kalam. And therefore we change the world and make the world a better place and bring it one step closer to the ultimate when the world will reach critical mass as a result of the infinite amount of good that has been done over thousands of years by our ancestors and ourselves collectively we reach a level critical mass when the light will go on and naturally and instinctively, six billion people will suddenly realize. It'll dawn on them what they always knew in the back of their head. That there is a God in this world. That God is real. It's not just God is up there in heaven, some crystals, some energy. It's reality. But this is the darkness that a Jew must illuminate. There's tremendous darkness out there. Now we have the tools to illuminate this darkness. We have the responsibility to illuminate the darkness through being Jewish, through acting Jewish, through studying Torah, through lighting the Shabbat candles, giving tzedakah, doing mitzvahs, and through being strong. So we have the, um, the responsibility because the Jew is connected. Even anti-Semitism is really only because the Jew is connected. Anti-Semitism reminds us that we're connected. And we're different than anyone else. And they'll never treat us like anyone else. So in, the, in, in its own distorted way, grotesque way, anti-Semitism is just an affirmation of the Jew's role. That the Jew has a special, unique role to play. And it's a non-Jew's funny way of telling a Jew, get your act together. Start, start behaving like a Jew, and speaking like a Jew, and acting like a Jew. So this is the level of Seyv of Kalman. But then, now we're going to discuss a level of Mbalik Kalman, where Hashem fills the worlds and gives each particular creature its unique energy, its unique characteristic, its unique ability. Top of page 931. 
and he fills the whole world. Is the life force that becomes enclosed, example, internalized within the essence of the created being. It is powerfully contracted within it, within it according to the intrinsic nature of the created being, which is finite and limited in quantity and quality, meaning its significance and importance. Since the life force must vest itself within the finite created being and unite with it utterly, it must necessarily be contracted and limited according to the intrinsically finite nature of the created being. Every created being is limited, both quantitatively and qualitatively. It has a, it's limited, its size, and also qualitatively, it has a limit. And now he's going to give an example, for example. An example is the sun, whose body is finite and limited quantitatively, being approximately 167 times the size of the globe of the Earth. Okay, so it's limited quantity-wise. Anyone remember your science class? How much bigger is the sun than, than the earth? Five, mil, five million times? And here he says 100, 167 times. So let's look the second paragraph from the bottom in the note as to the seeming contradiction. As to the seeming contradiction between this view and that of present-day astronomy that the sun is four or five million or more times greater than the earth, the Rebbe Shlita has explained as follows. The view of astronomy applies to the volume of the sun and that of Maimonides to its diameter. Oh, two separate things. The volume, the sun is five million times bigger than the earth. But if you're looking about measuring the diameter, it's only 167, but then continue. The diameter of the sun, based on present-day astronomy, is about 110 times that of the earth, not 170. But this measurement takes into consideration only specific layers of the sun, and not all of them. For the outermost layers of the sun contract and expand greatly from time to time, and not all the layers are visible to the eye. Only their effects are visible. Hence it is difficult to measure them. Likewise, the protuberance is not taken into account. Okay, so that's the answer. That the 167 is an accurate because we're including not just the visible part of the sun, we're including other layers. The outer layers contract and expand. And the Torah tells us it's precisely 167 times greater than the diameter of the earth. So that's the limitation of the sun quantity-wise, and now quality-wise. And its quality and significance, namely its light, is also limited as to the extent that it can emit light. For it cannot illuminate indefinitely since it is a created being, hence inherently limited. Thus, although the light of the sun illuminates at a prodigious distance, that distance is not without limit. Okay, so it has, the light also has a limit. It doesn't go on forever. It stops at some point. It only reaches a certain point. So you see, everything in the world has a limitation. Likewise, all created beings are finite and limited, for from the earth to heaven is a journey of 500 years, and so too from one heaven to another is a distance of 500 years. Talmud says that seven heavens from earth to heaven is 500 year distance, and then from each heaven is 500 years, and from the next he- that heaven to the next heaven. You know, it's not necessarily we're talking about something physical. Maybe it's just a, an analogy. We're talking about something spiritual, something metaphysical. But you're describing a, a limitation. Even metaphysically, there are limitations. Even when we talk of, of the attributes, you know, kindness is kindness, and kindness is not strength. It's two separate attributes and qualities. Everything really has a limitation. Definition, it is what it is. It has its nature, it has its characteristics, 
and it has its limit. So by definition, everything that's created really has a definition and a limit. Since created beings are limited and finite, the life force which is invested in them is greatly and powerfully contracted. So the life force that matches, matches that created being, that that created being is a vessel and a vehicle for that life force, has to match, has to match that vessel and vehicle, just like the eye. The eye is a vessel and vehicle for the ability to see. So it's a limited ability to see and not to hear. Right? You can't hear with your eyes. You can't see with your ears. So it had, it's, it's because it's a vessel and a limited vessel, therefore it has to have a limited energy that fits that vessel, that vehicle. So every created being really has to have its own unique energy, its own unique divine energy that, that animates and gives life force and vitality to that particular being. For it must first undergo numerous and powerful contractions until created beings by nature finite and limited may be brought into existence from its power and life. Only after this process of self-limitation will the limitless life force be able to invest itself within finite created beings and become united with them, as will soon be explained. For the source of the life force is the breath of the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be He. It becomes enclosed in the ten utterances of the Torah, from which all created beings come into existence. The breath of his mouth could have diffused without end and limit and created worlds infinite in their quantity and quality and given them life forever, unlike their present state in which they are limited in all these respects. And this corporeal world, all of whose beings are limited and finite, would not have been created at all. It was the contraction of the life force that made possible the creation of this physical limited world with its finite creatures. The reason why the breath of his mouth, for it not to have been contracted, would have created worlds without end, it's now explained by the Altar Rebbe in parenthesis. So he's saying that God creates the world, so to speak, with the breath of his mouth. See, even though that's external, it's the breath of your mouth. So firstly, your mouth expresses your emotions. Your, your words express what you're feeling. And since God's feelings are infinite, so too the, ma the breath of the mouth that's expressing these infinite feelings is also infinite. Also, it's God's breath, the breath of His mouth. So just like God is infinite, also the breath of His mouth is also infinite. See, even the breath of His mouth would also, has also infinite powers and capacity. And therefore, who could have created a world that has no limit, a world that goes on and on, a world with, without, without any limitation, unless without the tzimtzum. There had to be a tremendous tzimtzum, many, many tzimtzum, many, many contractions in order to contain, concentrate and contain a very tiny life force, so to speak, life energy that could be contained in a very finite being. So the life force, because the life force itself is God's spirit, the spirit of his, of his uh, breath, the breath of his mouth. That's also infinite. So how, how do you get a, a finite energy that could animate and give life to a finite being, like the sun? As great as the sun is, it's still limited, quantity and, as well as, as in quality. So, how, so obviously the life force of the sun is also limited. So how do you get a life force, a divine life force that's limited, and God is infinite? His emotional attributes are infinite. The breath of his mouth is infinite and the breath of the mouth that contains the emotions. So how do you get a life force that comes from God that's finite, that's limited? 
And the answer is through the many, many Tzimtzumim that he discussed in the first chapter. And these are the Hebrew letters. The Hebrew letters are the Tzimtzumim that contract and condense and concentrate the divine energy and give us different combination of the letters and different words, give us a very limited divine energy that matches this object and gives us its unique characteristics and its unique nature and, and ability. For just as the Holy One, blessed be so are all His attributes and actions contained. For He and His attributes are one. That is, the life force that emanates from His attributes, namely kindness and mercy and His other holy attributes, emanates from them. Through their being, it flows in the breath of His mouth, which refers to the sephira of life. For creation results from God's speech and the breath of His mouth, as Scripture states, that He spoke and the creation of Moreover, creation came about through Hesed, as it is written. The world is built through Hesed. But how is it that the world is created both through Hesed and Malchut, the word of God? This means the attribute of Hesed rests itself within Malchut, so that creation takes place through the word of God and the breath of his mouth, which becomes a vessel and garment for this created attribute. Like this man, whose garment is an integral, integral component of his body. The word of his mouth is thus a garment of the vessel that unites with the attribute of Hesed, from which the world was created. The life force emanating from the breath of his mouth is thus capable of creating worlds which are infinite, both quantitatively and qualitatively. Okay, some say it's a snail, some say it's a grasshopper. Or it's like a turtle. The, the, the clothes, not like by us, the clothes are external. You go to the rack and you buy a dress, you buy a suit. You can change your clothes three times a day. You can put it on, put it off. But the animal, these animals, the snail, the grasshopper, the, the turtle, its clothes grows with it. It's part of it. It's inseparable from it. So too, when you speak of God's speech, God's breath of mouth, his ability to speak, his ability to contain, contain his attributes, so to speak, to express and communicate and convey his attributes, the speech is also his. It's all him. The expression, self-expression is his. The self-containment and the concealment is him. So it's really all him. And therefore it's two sides of the same coin. So just like he's infinite, so to even when he hides and he conceals and he contains, it's also infinite. Nothing changes because... You can't hide on, on yourself. So the, the, the revelation is Him and the concealment is Him. It's all Him. And therefore, it's all the same thing. It's inseparable. Therefore, it doesn't really cover up. You can't cover up on yourself. So since the w breath of the mouth and the words, God's words, God's speech, are there to convey His emotions, and His emotions are infinite, and His ability to speak are also, is also God, like the snail, the, the clothes, the cover-up is also part of the snail, grows together with him, is inseparable from him. So therefore, God is infinite, and his ability to contain is also part of God, is also infinite, and therefore it doesn't really cover up in anything. So even when God speaks, with the breath of his mouth, he could create infinite worlds, and worlds that will last forever, and worlds that are unlimited, not the world as it is today. 
didn't have to be a world that only has five senses. Could have been a world with six senses, seven senses, ten senses, a hundred senses, a thousand senses. As much as we can't even imagine what a sixth sense is like. Imagine a world with ten senses. <laughs> hundred senses, thousand senses, million senses. But there's no limitation. God is infinite. His attributes are infinite. And his speech is infinite. Even when he contains and contains his attributes and like limits his attributes, but there's still, it's all part of him. Therefore, there's no cover-up, there's no real concealment, and therefore, he remains infinite. So how do we get finite energies to create a sun that's limited? As great, as massive as a sun is, it's still limited and has limited capacities. So obviously, it must have an energy to match. A limited a divine energy. So how do you get a limited divine energy from God's speech? So God's speech is not enough. You need, it's the letters. The tzimtzum. The many tzimtzum. Here we're not talking about the original tzimtzum. That we already discussed. Here we're talking about the, the containers, the letters, the different combination of the letters. These are the many, many tzimtzumim contractions, condensing through which the infinite light is limited and therefore the result is that we get a life force that's limited that could be contained and received and absorbed by a finite being and therefore we get a life force that creates a finite being a sun that has overt qualities you can sense but, but, but that are defined and that are limited the Holy One blessed be here however contracted the life and life force that could use the breath of his mouth and invested it in the combinations of the letters of the ten uterus combinations of the combinations by substitutions and transpositions of the letters themselves and their numerical values and improvements. As we learned in the first chapter, there are many, many ways of, of, of counting letters, of changing one letter for another letter. There's, there's many different uh, alphabets. One of them is Atbash. You substitute the first letter for the last letter. Like a code. Um, those from the same family, you substitute one for the other. Until you have numerical value. Gematria. Gematria, see people make a mistake. Now people write books figuring out numerical value of this word is connected with that word. But, that, but that's just a game. That's not real. When the Torah gives us a gematria, the Torah is telling us not only that they have the same number. Sometimes you can have the same number, but there's no connection between this energy and that energy. The Torah is telling us that there is an inner connection. And because of that inner connection, that inner connection is expressed by the fact that it has the same number. That's just a symptom of something deeper going on. For a lay person just to come up with gematrias, just playing games and making numbers, and uh, just because it has the same number doesn't mean there's any inner connection. It could have the same number, of, and, and it means nothing. But when this, the holy Torah, the holy rabbis, when they came up with the gematria, they weren't just coming up with the gematria. They knew that there's an inner connection. Because there's an inner connection, to demonstrate that, they have the same number. To demonstrate that there's a connection. It's just a symptom expressing. And there's a reason why that connection is expressed by numerical value, not in any other way. 
because it means it's a very slight connection. It's not a major connection. If it was a major connection, it would be a much more overt connection. It's only numerically it's connected. So that's even a further distance. It's like you, as you get further and further away, every time you change a one letter for another letter, and then you change that letter to another letter, and then you take the numerical value of this letter and you substitute it for numerical value, an equivalent numerical value with a different letter, you're getting further and further away from the source. These are the, that's the idea of tzimtzum many contractions and many condensing and by the time you reach the end it's a very thin connection to, to the origin and therefore the life force is very hidden it's very concealed and that's why it's, it's a limited life force and that's why the finite being is able to absorb this life force and energy for each substitution and transposition indicates the sense of the light and light force breathe by the breath. So that it will be able to create and give life to creatures whose quality and significance is lower than the quality and significance of the creatures created from the very letters and worlds of the ten uterus, within which is included the Holy One. Blessed be He with His glory and essence, which is His attributes, since they are one with God Himself. The numerical value, even when it's not calculated for the substitutions and transposition of letters, indicates the progressive diminution of the light and life force, until there remains from the, only the final level, which is that of the sum of the numbers of kinds of powers and grades containing the light, and life force invested in a particular letter combination of a particular world. The extent of the remaining life force is indicated by the sum which reflects the progressive descent and the constant diminution of the, the life force. It is only after all these contractions and order like them that God's wisdom has ordained. That the life force put in death off, even in the lower created big beings, such as inanimate stones and dust, in which no life force at all is revealed. Inasmuch as they represent the lowest levels of the leader created beings. For example, the name Heaven Stone indicates that its source is in the divine name, then, which numerically equals 52. Okay, what happens is God's name is Yud K He Vav He, which is numerical value of 26. Yud is 10, He is 5, you have two He's, that's another 10. It's 20, and Vav is 6, 26. However, when you fill out each letter, what do you mean you fill out each letter? The way you pronounce it, the Yud. If you have to write out Yud, Yud is written Yud, Vav, Dalit. How much is that? Yud is 10, Vav is 6, 20, Dalit is 4. Yud never changes. Yud is always 20. But the He and the Vav, the different ways of writing it. I can write in Hebrew, I can write Hey Yud, I can write Hey Aleph, and I can write Hey Hey. Hey. Vav also. I have three ways of writing it. I can write Vav, Vav Yud Vav, Vav Aleph Vav, or Vav Vav. So let's, let's spell it all out. Let's do the maximum. Everything Yud. So Yud, we already said, is 20. Hey Yud, and you have two Hey Yuds. 15, so it's a 30, that's 50. 
And Vav, let's spell out Vav, Vav, Yud, Vav. Vav is six, Vav is six. So 22, 22 and 50 is 72. That's the maximum. That's the highest level of Hashem's name. It's called the Shem Ayin Beis, the 72-letter name. That's God's revealed name. That's the special name. That's the holiest name. That's the name that the high priest would say on Yom Kippur in the temple. And that's the Shem Hamaforash. That's the name which the Kabbalists can do tremendous miracles with. Then you have, let's do... Yud is 20. That, that never changes. Hey, let's say Hey Aleph. How much is Hey Aleph? Six. We have two Hey's. Six, six is 12. 12 plus uh, is 32. Okay. Then we have Vav. So Vav is Vav Aleph Vav. Since we're doing everything with an Aleph. So Vav Aleph Vav. 13. 13. 13 and 32. 45. That's the name Mah. That's the lowest, that's the, the lowest, that's the, that's the name Ma, Memhe. That's the world of Atsilus, the world of emanation, the world of Bittal, of self-nullification. Anyway, then you have, so we have another two combinations, two possible combinations. Let's do Yud, it's 20. Hey, 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 hey. What's hey, hey? Ten. Ten. Twice, two. 20, so 20, 20 is 40. Then let's do Vav, Vav, Vav and Vav. Again, we're doing Hey, Hey, we're just doing the combination, just the letters themselves. Hey, 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 Vav, Vav. It's 12. So what, how much is that? 52. That's the name Shem Ban. Ban. Ban is Nun Bez. That's 52. Evan. Evan is the primarily Ben, Ban, means it comes from the, the name of Hashem, the way it's spelled out with the Hey, Hey, Vav, Vav, Hey, Hey, which is 52. You have another way of combining a name, which is Yud, 20. Hey, Yud, and Hey, Yud is 30. That's 50. And then Vav, Alavav, which is 13. <coughs> that's the name Sag. It's called Sag. 63. So you have four ways of counting Hashem's name. So the name Evan, the Hebrew name Evan, shows, indicates to us that it comes from the world of Ban. It comes from the divine, the origin of a stone. Where does the stone originate from? The stone originates from the divine world of Ban, which is one of God's manifestations. The 52, for 52 combination. That, that explains the Beis Nun of Evan, of stone. How about the Aleph? Continue. The name Evanstone indicates that its source is in the divine name, then, then which numerically equals 52. Nun base, 52. I.e., the numerical value of the divine name Abaya, when spelled out phonetically in a particular way, with an Aleph added to it from another name for a reason known to its creator. We don't know the reason, but for some reason, to create a stone the particular characteristics of a stone, you have the letters Beis Nun, which shows us, indicates that it comes from the source, from the name Hashem, the way it's spelled out, written out in, in, in a way of 52, numerical value of 52, with the name Aleph, for a reason that's only known to the Creator, what the Aleph adds to it. It's like a mixing of chemicals. You, you mix chemicals differently, you come up with different, uh, different brews, you come up with different results. 
So the combination of the letters, God creates the world with the Hebrew letters. The Hebrew letters are the building blocks of creation. So according to the different combination of the letters, creates the different objects with its unique characteristic traits. Now the name uh, then itself relates to very high worlds, and in its pristine state it can in no way serve as a source of physical stone. Yet through numerous and powerful contractions, degree by degree, i.e. from higher to lower levels, there descended from it a life force so exceedingly diminished that it could clothe itself in a stone. And this very greatly condensed life force is the soul of the inanimate being which gives it life and brings it into existence ex nihilo at every instant, as has been explained previously. In chapter 1 where it is stated that even inanimate creatures possess a soul that brings them into existence at every instant. So like he said that earlier that the, 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 ten, the ten utterances itself through which God creates the world creates the big items, the sun. But everything is really contained in the ten utterances. If not directly, then indirectly. Through numerical value and through changing of the letters, which means that it goes farther and farther from the source so the light is condensed and concealed and changed and transformed until we get a very limited energy it's able to create and sustain a very finite being. This greatly condensed life force is the level of he fills all worlds as opposed to the level of he encompasses all worlds, wherein the life force is not contracted in proportion to the spiritual capacity of created beings. In summary, the divine life force is capable of creating worlds that are infinite, both in quantity and quality, Finite beings are created only when this life force garbs itself in the letters and transpositions of the letters of the ten utterances and in their numerical values. Each power and grade of the life force, after it has descended and undergone contractions, so that there remains only the numerical equivalent of the letters of the ten utterances, would be able to create beings according to its own level even unlimited in quantity and quality, giving them everlasting life. Since it is the power of Hashem that diffuses and emanates from the breath of His mouth, and there is no restraint to His ability to create unlimited worlds. Their quality, however, would not be on a level as high as the quality and level of the creatures, which could be created from the power and degree of the letters themselves i.e. the created beings resulting from the transposition of letters and surely from the numerical value of the letters would be inferior to the beings which could be created from the letters themselves. The letter itself is a much higher level. It means it's much more revealed light. When you start transforming the letter and the numerical value of a letter means it's only like a pale reflection of a letter. It's like a difference between the light of the sun. Take the light of the sun and try to fit it into a narrow window. So you, you contracted the light, but it's still the same light. Versus, let's say the light of the sun reflecting of something else, let's say the, the moon, the moonlight, light of the sun reflected off the moon. It's already a different light. The light is much further removed from its source. It's different. It's not just quantitatively different, it's qualitatively different. So when you have the letter itself, even though it's contained and finite and limited, but it's still the same light that's condensed and concentrated. But when you get the numerical value and the substitutes of the letters, like a name Evan, the name Evan you won't find in the ten utterances. 
The only you could find it through changing the letters and transmutations and numerical value. So that means that it's the, it's a different light almost. That it's it's just a reflection, a pale reflection of its original, and therefore the the being that's created through it is also on a much smaller level, like a stone. You can't compare a stone to the to the sun. The level of energy and the level of life and the level that you see that's expressed, that's manifest in the stone is not the same. It's very far, very distant from the level of energy that's manifest in the, in the, in the sun. Source of energy. Because that's directly, it says clearly in the Torah and the Ten Utterances, it says the sun, Shemesh, but the stone doesn't say directly. It's only through permutations and transmutations. And therefore, being that's created is also different on the lower level. Well, some said, what's the difference between if you put two yuds together, it's God's name. If you put one yud on top of the other yud, it's called sof pasuk. It's the end of a, the end of a verse. Right? If you look at the chumash, the end of every verse, it's like one yud on top of the other, like like a colon. End of. But if you have two yuds together, it's God's name. So Hasidic Rebbe once said. The Yud represents the Yid, the Jew. And two Yidna together, and they're side by side, and one helps each other, and one cares for each other. And your joy is my joy, and your pain is my pain. Hashem says, that's Hashem's name. God is present. When one Jew is on top of the other, one Jew feels superior to the other, that's the end. It's finished. Saif <laughs> Pasuk. It all comes to a, a, a screeching halt. So, he says that Hashem... Tzimtzum is not literally. Hashem is present. His infinite light is present. It's just not hi- It's hidden. It's hidden because He fills all the worlds and because He gives us a limited energy that we can grasp. And that covers up on His all-encompassing energy, all-encompassing life force, divine life force. And therefore, therefore we don't sense it. But the truth is it's really all divine. And Hashem really, nothing could stop him. Hashem could, could have made infinite worlds. There is no limitation from his perspective, from his point of view. A limitation is only from our point of view. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website www.lessonsintanya.com